This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, OK, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now wherever you get your podcasts. Matewa, O'Driscoll, Forgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Well, it is that time of the year again. The annual left-wing bumper Champions Cup preview is upon us. Luke Verstrell is here, as always. Three-time winner of the competition, of course. Luke, hello. Well, how are things? I can tell you're the, the excitement is palpable. You're this is this is you now. This is your week. You're you're this is your big weekend of sport now. I assume is it's it where I come, it's going to come into my own exactly. I've been consulting yeah, yeah. with the Irish independent team of scientists. They've crunched the numbers. They've they've produced the annual power rankings to start the year. I won't bore you all with the one to twenty four uh, ranking because obviously with the extended bigger Champions Cup this year we would be here all night. But suffice to say. Toulouse, Leinster, Exeter and Racing feature in the top four in one shape or form. I won't, you know, I won't go into too much detail because myself, Luke and Keane Tracy will be discussing all the various storylines a little later on. But how excited are you, Luke, for another year, year of European rugby? Yeah, really looking forward to it. And I like the new format. I know there's a little bit of pressure to get a good start, but I think there's generally a good a bit of pressure with that anyway. The uh, round of 16 home and aways, that's a bit of a wild card. And interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams who are. Yeah, I think maybe we. I suppose we just haven't had a massive amount of rugby so far. It feels like we haven't had a massive amount of rugby so far with that big break for for November internationals. But I suppose all the Northern Hemisphere teams played so well in them that we're kind of excited. There's a lot of people in form, and uh, interesting to see if they can kind of transfer that now onto the club scene. Yeah, and in your experience, like, you know, when you were playing, you know, does it does it ratchet up a notch this week when it coming into the first game in Europe? I know the Irish teams, like, they do pride themselves, and Irish fans as well, like, we do love European rugby and we love this competition. Like, does it, does it feel different when you're in a match week of Europe when you're going into a new campaign like this? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, look, everyone, you know, all of those kind of selection headaches, you can kind of, I think, let a league match where you don't get selected go. Um but if you don't get selected, you're kind of you're always building towards these high cups because you know if you're looking to get in the international team, if you're not picked in these, it's really, really difficult to get picked for the for, for the Irish team. So uh big opportunity for everyone. The you know, and I think as well, like those those weeks, you can even tell from the amount of information that's kind of given to you earlier in the week, the preparation from the coaching staff, like they'd have done kind of 
they'll have had the, the the video analysts kind of preparing for this for a couple of weeks in advance. You'll have a really detailed kind of player pack and team pack about what the other team are doing, what they're trying to do, what you're going to do to try and impose your will on them and win the games. Um, so yeah, you can feel that. And as well, I think you feel it amongst the player group. It's a bit more, there's a bit more bite in training. Everyone's a bit more tetchy. Everyone, the mood, the, 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 even if you've got a big win in the league the week before, I think everyone's kind of in bad form on Monday, looking to get stuck into the week and kind of focus. So um, that were always my experiences of them. Um, usually you might even have a, you know, a bit of a digging match in some of the forwards line out sessions. It could, it could get very serious uh, in a week like this because there's a lot at stake. Um, so yeah, big weeks, players will be buzzing for it. And I think the fans are really looking forward to this one too. The Heineken cup is to my mind, it's still a super competition. Um and I like that they change it up slightly just to give it a look. Look, I don't think I'm not sure how long we have. To, if it doesn't work out, I think we can just scrap it. But it's good to see them trying something because I think it has lost a little bit of its shine, um, in my opinion. So I hope this kind of gives it that little bit of um, kind of sparks it into life, maybe a little bit more in, in the supporters' eyes. No, definitely. Yeah, the, the new format is kind of can be a little bit confusing, but I suppose as we go, as we go along through the various weeks and the permutations become clearer. Uh, you know, things will start to ratchet up a bit, and it all starts this weekend. I'm delighted to be joined for our bumper Champions Cup preview by the one and only Keane Tracy. Keane, we might start with the easy question for you Who is the best team in Europe as we sit here, you know, with two or three days to go before the first game? It's hard to say, really, isn't it? Because there's been so much happening in, in the early stages of the season. I think, you know, if you, if you start with Leinster. They looked were obviously much improved last weekend. They got a bit of a wake-up call uh, the weekend before against Ulster. Um, you look at Leicester, they're flying in the Premiership un- undefeated. I think nine from nine, is it? Um, Toulouse, defending champions. They've, they've actually been a bit patchy this season, but you know they're going to turn it on when it comes to Europe. So, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's actually a few contenders this year, but like as we've seen already with the the monster situation with Scarlets, everything can be thrown up in the air. And you know, we thought we were kind of gone past the stage of seeing you know forfeited games, twenty eight nil, and here we are. It's we haven't even started the competition and we have one, so it's sort of a dangerous game to be making predictions this far out. But um, I'm pretty excited for it. I have to say. Yeah, as you said, disappointing that there's been a bit of disruption already. Fingers crossed the rest of the games go ahead this weekend. Luke, you know, how are you approaching it in terms of looking at or benchmarking the, the best teams? Obviously, Leinster are there, thereabouts, to lose to the defending champions. For me, they're the two who are a quite above the rest. I don't know how you're kind of viewing the field. Yeah, and I actually think Leinster are probably better than them too. Um, pretty bullish on Leinster, from being honest. I think uh, this is the year for them. Uh, I think Johnny Sexton, you know, provided he gets back injury uh, free, is still a key guy. Uh, and I think with everyone back, and it looks like there's no real long-term injuries at the moment that I can see or that spring to mind, um, they look like the strongest outfit. I think um, they'll be hurting as well. They'll have that motivation. The competition has big history, you know, in Leinster and the Irish provinces generally, but Leinster of late, um, and I think they've kind of messed up a few big ones, um, as well as coming up against a very good opposition. But I think they've messed it up, but they haven't really performed the last couple of years. Like Saracens and in, in Aviva comes to mind, all the penalties they gave away there. I thought they were very, uh, you know, passive defensively against, uh, you know, La Rochelle, uh, even though I thought they played excellent. But I think they probably played to their best ability, and Leinster had a bad day there. 
Um, and just some of the other Saracens won. The Newcastle one probably comes to mind as well. Didn't really think they showed up on that one. They weren't brave against that um, Saracens defence, which I think you need to be. And um, I think they're showing all the signs of a team. Um, bar that uh, Ulster match, I'm probably more referencing than the, the Ireland match, to be honest, because there's such a big Leinster contingent there. They're showing all the signs of a, of a, of a team and of players who are kind of peaking at the right time for this kind of competition, I think. Um, and a lot of people that have a good age profile, good experience, and um, you know, some youthful guys too. I think they're just in a really good position. So I like Leinster a lot. Um, interested to see, you know, what Leicester's form means. Like, is it nine from nine? I think it is. Um, that to my mind, like, I just don't know how good I'm not sure where the Premiership is. I don't, I don't know if Exeter are as good as they, you know, they've, they've maybe a little bit patchier than they have been. Um, Bristol too, a bit of a bit patchier. Uh, Saracens are obviously back amongst things, but uh, they're not the, the Saracens of old, I don't think. And a lot of their players are kind of out of form. I don't think you'd like to go up against them in a, in a knockout, but um, yeah. And look, I know you mentioned Toulouse. You're probably right there. Uh, and I think all the French teams on their day can cause you a problem. And I wouldn't like to be, you know, that round of 16 would be interesting against some of those French teams at home. I mean, they could just come out and score, you know, they could be very, very, very interesting in those um, home and away fixtures. So look, we wait and see how it all turns out. Leinster to me at the moment, still the best. Yeah, Keen, there's a couple of things that Luke said there. We might circle back to, you know, about the English teams and their form. But from a Leinster perspective, they're in an interesting place. As Luke outlined there, like their three defeats in their last three knockout games all came by two scores or more. So they've been comprehensively beaten on the scoreboard anyway in, in, in those games. And for such a star-studded squad, so much depth, you know, 12 guys starting against the All Blacks and beating them, like there, there has to be a lot of pressure. I feel like it's kind of one of those storylines that kind of has, hasn't really we haven't really talked about it that much in the sense that like there's a lot of pressure on them, I think to deliver like a, a squad of that, of that class and that talent and depth really should have another European cup, I think in the last couple of years. So there, there is pressure like, for all the kudos Cullen and Lancaster and the squad get, they do need to deliver a European cup this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think anytime we've done these bumper champions cup previews on the pod, we've pretty much said that there is a certain degree of pressure on Leinster to deliver. And you know what? That pressure comes internally, I think, more than anywhere, because that's where Leinster judge themselves is on Europe. I mean, they've won the, the Pro 14 or URC, whatever you want to call it, at a canter for the last few years. So that is really where they judge themselves. The big question is, you know, have they solved the, the power gap, which has been pretty evident in, in some of those games? And I agree with Luke. I think they didn't help themselves in, in certain games. He mentioned the, the Saris penalty count and things like that. But for me, I, I don't think I would like I don't think I'd be as bullish and as confident as, as Luke is. I still think they've got they've got something to prove in Europe. And um, to me, they still look a little bit light in the second row. Um, going up against you know your bigger teams, your Toulouse's, your La Rochelle. Um, the talk is that Leinster are in the market for you know an overseas an overseas lock. Um, so that to me would suggest that they believe that they need to. They haven't quite found the answer yet. I think you know moving Andrew Porter to Lucid is a massive, massive help. We've seen throughout the November season with our series with Ireland how good he was, even when he came off the bench last week against uh, Connacht, I thought he was ridiculously good. Um, just just does it all. Um, and then when you have a, a guy like Dan Sheehan breaking through, and I know we've spoken about it a few times, but I genuinely think himself and 
Ronan Kelleher's battle over the next 10 years is going to be one of the most exciting in Irish rugby. So that certainly will help. But I still feel like in the second row, they're a little bit short. You know, James Ryan is still out with a, with a head injury. Um, hopefully we'll see him back, I think, maybe for the Montpellier game next week. But I think we saw in Ireland an improvement in him because he was freed up, I think, to do more of the stuff that he's good at. I think over the last couple of years, he's had to get through an awful amount of work because he's doing a lot of the a lot of the, the, the grunt work, if you want, for a better term. So, you know, you're looking at someone like a Ryan Baird to come through, but while he's an absolutely outstanding athlete, he's not exactly the power kind of athlete in terms of bulky heavyweight locks that perhaps Leinster are looking at the market at. So I think that's the big question hanging over Leinster. And I agree with you, Will. I do think they have um, a bit of a point to prove, but I think that point to prove is to themselves more than anyone else. Yeah, Luke, that, that power question, like uh, I know in the end of last weekend, there was kind of like a Champions Cup jury. And one of the questions was along those lines, like what do Leinster need to do differently this year to, to kind of bridge that power deficit or power gap? And you, I think, said you don't think they needed to do much differently in terms of like the power game, or you didn't think maybe maybe the power element of it was overblown. I'm, maybe I'm mis- misrepresenting no, no, your no, point. You but... Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, like so. What, like, for you, is it more? First, obviously, because that, that's been the big narrative after the Saracens and La Rochelle games that they're lacking that bit of power. And as Keen referred to there, they're potentially looking for a second row. But do you think that's slightly overplayed in some senses? I do to a certain extent. Like, I think look, Baird. To, Baird is a, is a challenging one because he's such a good athlete, but he does look light. Um, like you'd nearly kind of ask yourself, like, well, I've asked myself, I know I've said it here quite a number of times. I wonder, is he a six in, like, he's one of those kind of higher, but it's almost like a tight burn in a lot of ways. Uh, like an unbelievable rugby player can do it all on the pitch, you know, getting steals, like big runs, sidestepping people, nearly outrunning some of the backs. Um, but, but where do you fit him in? Um, like, like looks to be like ideal for a bench slot for Ireland. And then when it comes to Interpro and Leinster kind of level, I think that he, he still will have enough. I think he'll get bigger as well. But at the moment, just dealing with that, I think you can still use Devin Toner there uh, if you are worried about that. I know he's not exactly a heavyweight, but he's still a huge man at six foot ten. Um, and he's probably 130 kilos still, if, if memory serves. So he's a big man. Um, and uh, I think you can use him well there. I think Ryan is very important. I think actually... I think he actually hasn't been. I don't. I don't think he's been playing well versus actually doing a different role for for a long period of time. I actually think he's come into some really good form again uh, in, in the November internationals. It was a shame to see him go down with that knock, and hopefully, that, as as Keen said, that's a quick recovery. I actually just think he's playing better. I think he was trying too hard. I think he was giving away a lot of penalties. I think he was trying to do too much, and uh, I think he looks like he's calmed down and figured out a few things in his game. And is kind of trying to get those one inch gains versus trying to like drive someone back 10 meters in a tackle and then falling in a bad position and giving away a penalty. That's, that was always the last year or so that I've been watching him. I kind of felt that way. I felt like he was trying to just do that a little bit too much. I think he's just playing better. So look, in terms of why I think Leinster could or don't possibly need to do that and, and bridge some kind of power gap, I think they've got enough. I think they've got enough in the front row. They've got enough weight in there. They've got great subs there as well. Their back row is very strong. Yes, the, 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 the second row, you would like maybe a little bit more weight there. But I think you, what you can do is if you can up the pace of the game substantially, I think you can, you, you know, that doesn't really become a, as much of a factor. I also think defensively, they got bullied last year because I thought they were very passive in that game against La Rochelle. Didn't get off the line well. 
uh, didn't have those collisions happen further away from the gain line consistently. You're not going to get them all the time against big players, but you need to get those collisions further back from the gain line. And they didn't do that. They were passive. And that's how I think I will be trying to rectify that. And I know they struggled a little bit at, uh, at Mall uh, defense as well against La Rochelle, but I think the game was probably over. They looked like they were panicking a bit to me there. I think with the guys they have in the front row and the back row, I think they've got enough weight there and enough on the bench to still be very, very powerful there. And I don't think they need to worry. I think they need to worry about technique and being mentally in the right place. That's, that's what I think will bridge the gap there and get them over the line would be my opinion. Yeah, well, that power question will definitely be, be, be rumbling on, I suppose, until they reach the, the latter stages. Keen, just to switch, swap to the other side of the scrum, because you were writing about it today, uh, the form of Jordan Lammer has been an interesting question mark, and Stuart Lancaster answered questions at length about it in, in the press conference this week. Uh, like, a guy who, in 2017-18, when Leinster had that unbelievable year, Lammer had that breakout season, he scored tried a season contenders in Ravenhill and in Thomond Park, and it really looked like he was going to be a mainstay, which he, I suppose he is in the Leinster team, but, you know, in terms of kind of making those game-breaking plays on a regular basis. And he's kind of lost his way a bit, as you outlined in your piece. You know, like, how would you kind of sum up, you know, where he is at the moment and what Leinster are hoping for him to, to return to over the next couple of months? Yeah, I think there were so many positives from the November series that it kind of got glossed over the fact that there was a lot of guys in the squad who didn't play a single minute. And Jordan Larmer was one of them. Simon Zebo was another a few lads from Ulster. Um, and that would have been, you know, if you had said that to people, I think at the start of the month, I don't think anyone would have believed you, particularly in that Argentina game. You would have thought Larmer would have got some game time. I think the one thing you'd have to say is, I think, they had him earmarked, I think, to be Rob Garney's replacement uh, from, from a while out. That obviously didn't work. Uh, no thanks to like Hugo Keenan coming in, who, to be fair, has been absolutely outstanding. Hasn't put a foot wrong. I think Larmer is probably better suited to the wing. The problem with him switching to the wing is he's come up against guys like James Lowe, who Andy Farrell has clearly like put a lot of time into. And to be fair, was rewarded for that fate last month. You look at Andrew Conway, who was very good as well. And you have Keith Earls and Robert Balakoon. So he's definitely fallen down the pecking order. I think it was an interesting point that what Stuart Lancaster was saying that, you know, you see it with a lot of guys, you know, they, they break onto the scene and, you know, they, they have a rapid rise to the top and then it's almost like a bit of a dip or a bit of a plateau. And I think he, he was right. He, he pointed to the examples of people like James Ryan and Luke mentioned it there when we were talking about in terms of the pack, like Ryan went through a bit of a sticky spell. Gary Ringrose, I think, went through a bit of a, a sticky spell as well. And hopefully for Larmer and Leinster in Ireland that this is just, you know, something that he has to get through. And I think ultimately the making of him will be how he comes through this because Leinster cl clearly still rate him. They, they see him as one of their first choice wingers. So I think there's elements of his game. He's got to tighten up. Um, I think his decision making, his, his aerial work is still a very much a work in progress. And to me, that's probably one of the most worrying aspects of his play. I mean, he got badly caught out again last week for Mac Hansen's try. I know it was an unbelievable kick from Jack Carty, but Luke is better placed than me to talk about this. But like, I, I just felt his positioning should have been better. And to me, sometimes he just he just doesn't look comfortable going up for those aerial challenges. And if you look at it, a modern day winger, that is just one of the the basics that you've got to get right. So. He has stuff to work on, but look, you saw how well he finished his try. Even though I shot, thought he should have finished it on the outside, I mean, I don't know if he's got, always going to get away with trying to beat the guy in, in terms of stepping back inside, but 
we all know how good his footwork is and he does back himself. So maybe he just needs a run of games. You know, he had that dislocated shoulder at the tail end of last year as well, which probably hindered him a little bit too. So he's got a bit of ground to make up, but like you look at the next couple of weeks, what better opportunity than to do it then? Yeah, like what's your assessment of where he is in his career at the moment? Because as Keane mentioned, you know, that rapid rise, obviously, you know, the aerial side of the game is a side that does take players sometimes a while to get right. Um, but I suppose even those kind of big eye-catching moments that he kind of made his name on, they, they aren't as plentiful as they were at the beginning either. Maybe it's hard to sustain that sort of thing. But even, I suppose, at least he would have been like, okay, well, if his aerial game isn't great, at least he can do the game-breaking stuff. But even that has kind of dried up a small bit as well. Like, what, what, What's your view kind of looking in as another back three player like that? Yeah, like I think it's a very different position playing at fullback, you know, and I probably afforded them. Like, just we think of those spectacular tries, particularly the Munster one, like that's a nicer position to be getting the ball and doing those kind of things. Um, so there's a bit of that maybe. I think largely it's down to injuries. I don't think he's got a really consecutive spell of games. It's something that you have to, I have to learn it myself. It takes a long time to get used to actually being injured and coming back in and um, kind of hitting the ground running. It's... I don't, it's really hard to kind of explain why or how that happens, but you get better. You look at Johnny Sexton over his career, you know, he's gotten so good at that. Like he just seems to come back in and never really bothers him. I think you just figure out a few things. Your body gets kind of used to coming back in, maybe ever, you know, not, not training all the time, just because of maybe cumulative, maybe training load and matches played, whereas he's still early in his career. So maybe he doesn't have that. Plus he's obviously, you know, moved out to the wing as well now. And it's a bit lonelier out in the wing in some respects, particularly when you're you know, dealing with, with crossfield kicks. Like if you're dealing with the crossfield kick as a winger and lots of times, particularly in their defense, you're not coming from deep to deal with it. You're often dealing with it across, like coming across or it's usually on top of you. It's a very difficult kick to defend. I thought it was a lovely kick by Jack Carty. Now, sometimes you need to not go for that ball and try and catch it in your arms. Sometimes you just need to make a mess of that. So he, I thought he made a mistake in his decision-making and his positioning, of course, could have been better. But it was kind of on top of him as well. Uh, and I actually felt he needed to put his arms up and just block Mac hands. Just get a hand in between his, his hands almost. Uh, get your, you know, the hands above the head. I'm, I, no one here can, can see what I'm doing uh, on, on, on the podcast. But sometimes you just need to make a mess of that. Ball was right on top of him. Winger clearly had an advantage. He was coming on uh, onto the ball. And... Um, yeah, that was just an unfortunate one, I think. But there is work to do in that part of his game. What I would say is he can look at someone like Andrew Conway, who's fairly small as well, and who's excellent in the air, who's just really worked hard on his technique and his commitment there. And look, he, I think he can turn that around quickly. And he did look quite good there for a period. So I think it's a concentration thing and a work thing. And I think it'll come with a bit of time, you know, because I think injuries have impacted him as well. On the finishing stuff, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, because... You know, the, the rhetoric around you is so, it's kind of a funny one. Like, Mac Hansen has been so good in attack, but geez, he's been awful in defense. Like, you know, I actually thought Larmer had to step inside because Mac Hansen had him covered in the corner, but I thought it was terrible defense. Like, Mac Hansen should have been giving him an opportunity to go in the corner, if you know what I mean. That's what he wants because he actually had the angle on him. He just never slowed up. He got stepped so easily and just kept running. I don't, he nearly, he nearly clashed, uh, clashed into the into the uh, touchline, um, the the flag and the touchline. So, like that was terrible defense by him. I thought it was a decent decision by Larmer, even though I thought Rob should have tackled him on the inside. Uh, I th I did think he had to step inside just to to just to cover off on that point. And I actually think you know he might get a bit of confidence from that game. 
Um, at the moment, you know, he's in a position where people are talking about him not playing well. He needs to ignore that at the moment and just get back to basics. Um, there's a few things, as we've mentioned, that I think he can work on that I think will make things easier for him. But time in the pocket will be key, and it looks like they will give that to him. So I, I expect him to, to get back to form and to, uh, to, I suppose, flourish and show what he's about because I think he, he's a you know, very exciting talent. And, uh, you know, he, he, I think he is still one for the future with Ireland. And, you know, he will compete very hard for that uh, 14 slot. I think one of the things to mention, Will, as well, I should have said it at the start, is, you know, you mentioned that those game-breaking moments maybe aren't as plentiful, but I think so much is, is that is down to the opposition, know how good he is. So he's being, you know, targeted in terms of not allowing him the time and space that he might have had before. And look, the guy is still very young. Like I said, everyone's going to go through this in their career, so I don't think anyone is writing him off by any means. He just needs that consistent run of games. Yeah, well, I, t- I tell you, the only person who didn't know that he has a vicious right foot step was Mac Hansen, clearly, who didn't watch any video uh, <laughs> before the game because he didn't. Like, it was one of the worst pieces of defence I've ever seen. Um, but, yeah, like, I think he there is stuff as well. Like, that's a good point that Kia makes about where he is. And, you know, you know, how early he is in his career, what you do need to do and you have to learn during this period is definitely to focus on the basics and get those things right. But he will have to start adding things to his game that because people start, you know, picking up on what you can do. Like if you were marking Jordan Larmer and you got and he was on the right wing and you got stepped on, you know, with his right foot, you'd be absolutely good. Now, I know he can come off the left, but the right is the really choppy one. Like I would be gutted if I hadn't pushed him lateral, at least. Look, you don't always have to make a tackle on someone like Larmer. But if you put, if he's able to step you and come forward, like it puts the inside tackler under massive pressure. Um, so he might have to learn things like, you know, a few different moves in terms of his footwork, which I think he's well capable of doing. And then maybe he's bringing other people in the game. Maybe he finds, like, I didn't really see him on the other side of the pitch all night, uh, Will. Whereas I thought James Lowe looked like really confident during November internationals. He popped up everywhere. Didn't matter where he was. And he was impacting the game all over the pitch. There's no reason why Jordan Larmer who's really, really fit um, and, you know, very, very evasive, has good ball handling skills too, can't be doing those things. It doesn't know, you don't always have to wait for those opportunities, Will. And that's something that as well you probably get with a few games as well. You get the confidence up. Um, and I'm sure someone like him, you'd want to give him a free, a free role because he caused chaos with the footwork around the forwards, you know? That's actually a great point because one of the things Andy Farrell said in November about James Lowe and his wingers in general is that he doesn't want tidy wingers. And I think that is exactly the point that Luke is making. He wants people like pretty much Matt Hansen is doing it really well for Connors, popping up in different positions. And I think you're dead right, Luke. I think Larmer maybe needs to show a bit more of that uh, in his yeah, game. Yeah, popping up off the nine, popping up off the ten, just any, like, just like even picking and going here and there. Like, just get your hands on the ball. Like, I think sometimes as well, you, you need to remember what you're really great at. And like, he, his great, his footwork is still is going to be his strength. Um, of course, when you're coming up against opposition wingers who are fairly well matched with you, you have to learn maybe a few new skills. But some of the old bloody skills, does, like the tight head props aren't going to be looking at Jordan Larmer's footwork all week because they're hoping to God they're not going to come up with a one-on-one against him. He needs to be searching out those opportunities as well. So look, I think there's time for him to do all those things. And I hope that his coaches are telling him that because I don't think he gets back in the Irish team against the opposition he's up against if he doesn't do those things, Keen. And uh, good point. Yeah, great point on, on, on the Andy Farrell uh, observation. Yeah, so I think that will be important for him. 
Yeah, Luke, and as you mentioned, learning from Andrew Conway in terms of the aerial side of the game, even learning from Andrew Conway in terms of a guy who broke onto the scene as a young player with a lot of potential and hype and then kind of reinvented himself. And it took him a couple of years then to kind of find his way again. And once he did, he's broken back into the Ireland but team. But he has uh, kind of did it as well, Will. Do you know, like there is a blueprint there for smaller guys to be really, really great at that skill if the technique is and, and the commitment is there, which it is. So like he, there's no reason why he shouldn't just spend like a lot of time working on that stuff and he should be great at it. There's no reason. He's a great footballer, you know. Send him down to Munster and they'll reinvent him. <laughs> I thought you had enough Leinster lads down there. <laughs> well, well, speaking of Munster King, we'll move on to them now. Obviously, you know, a lot has been spoken. Everyone is at this stage is well aware of their situation with a number of guys still quarantining in hotels or at home or a few guys still in South Africa. Just before we came on air, I know you had you sent in a story that they registered 22 kind of young players for their European squad, a mix of academy guys some AIL players, a couple of guys in, in youth development squads. So it, it remains to be seen what sort of team will be playing against Wasps. But, you know, how are you approaching this game? Like, do, do you still think they have a, a reasonable chance of winning? In your mind, is a losing bonus point? Should that be their target? Like, they'll still have a very experienced backline. There'll still be a couple of guys in the pack who are internationals. So there's definitely a blueprint, I think, for them still winning this game. Or am I, am I overplaying it? No, I, I don't think so at all. I think, you know, it's obviously been a really tough uh, couple of weeks for them and particularly for the 14 people that are still left over in South Africa. Like, you know, some of them have got um, kids as well. It's it's extremely, extremely tough. And I know Todd Byrne was talking about it as well in terms of it's more the mental state of guys that you'd be worried about. So, you know, your thoughts are all with them. But if you're just taking the situation in a purely rugby sort of point of view which obviously isn't really fair but ultimately you know the game is going ahead like I can't wait to see how this weekend pans out I think it's going to be really really exciting I think there's been such a strong cohort of players have been left back in Munster um, and you've had Chris Farrell is back from injury and Roman Salanoa is back from injury too so they're going to have a pretty strong starting 15 the issue is going to be I think in terms of who goes on the bench but my understanding is that there could potentially be guys who finish their quarantine on Saturday night could be involved in the Wasps game on Sunday. Now, obviously, that is very much TBC in terms of how guys, you know, come out of it. I know they've they've been equipped with like, you know, weights and kicking nets and whatever else they can do within the confines of where they're where they're quarantining. So it could be. It, you know, it, it could be a, a bit of a surprise team in terms of the depth that Munster will have. Like you mentioned the 22 players that they're after adding, like all 22 of those guys are under the age of 21. Um, like there's been a lot, like I don't think we're going to see, mo- well, obviously we're not going to see most of them involved in the match day 23, but what an opportunity for some of these guys, you know, like some of them are going to travel as extras, as reserves to, to Coventry this weekend. And even in terms of the experience of getting to train with the likes of Peter O'Mahony, Keith Earls, Conor Murray, like vastly, vastly experienced campaigners. And I believe like someone like O'Mahony has been unbelievable over the last couple of weeks in terms of driving standards. And I'm writing about a piece at the moment about Ian Costello, who's overseeing sort of everything at the moment. I think Munster are really, really fortunate to have a guy like him um, who's been able to step into the breach. Like, you know, obviously he has the insight into Wasps because he spent the last few years there and only rejoined as Munster Academy manager in the summer. But apart from that, like he has a vast knowledge of Munster rugby, having spent years there working there before. So I think they're lucky that they have a guy like that who's been able to keep the show on the road. And, 
yeah, like I'm I'm really excited. I like it would be classic. I know it's become almost a cliche at this point to say it about this week, but I genuinely believe it will be classic Munster and they'll go to Wasp and get a get a win. Like the other thing to say is wasps haven't been any great shakes at all this season. They're poor. So it's not like they're, it, like they're poor, and like it's not as if you're going into one of the go- great cauldrons of European rugby. Like they're going to the Rico Arena in Coventry, a place that doesn't really have much of an atmosphere. Uh, it's a tough enough place to go. I have a, I have a fifty pointer in my. Oh my yeah, there. your last European depends, game, I believe, yeah, a fifty point defeat. Depends. Depends who you talk to on that one, Will. <laughs> <laughs> I. I, I I can I know what you mean. Well, I I've covered games there before, and it's soulless and it's grim. I'm only joking. Um, it's crap. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're not going to they're not going to a Toulouse. Like even if it was going to Cast, you know, which who are, are also they're also going to play next week. If they were going away to France, like that's a much tougher test. It's it's not a gimme by any means, but I just think the quality of players that didn't go to South Africa with someone like Ian Costello over it, with the guys coming back from injury. They're going to be able to put a very decent, I think, starting 15 together. Yeah, Luke, you know, what's your take on it? I was keen outlined there. Like, they'll still have a lot of strength in that in that first 15. Obviously, you know, you, might, you if there was an injury early in the game, there might be a really young player pressed into action, which could, you know, pose problems, or they're probably maybe a little light, potentially in front row uh, replacements. But, like, I agree with Keane. I actually think it's really set up for Munster to go there. And, you know, they love being having their backs against the wall, being kind of an underdog. I think they're two-to-one underdogs already, even though they'll have a really strong starting team. I think it's actually set up for them. Yeah, do you know, I probably agree with you as well. I think, um, you know, I was kind of saying it all today. Like, I think I've got they've definitely got enough there to drag a performance out of some inexperienced guys. Um, you know, if, that, if that's what, you know, like it's so difficult to, to, to figure out who's going to be selected for the game, I'm kind of like, I just don't do not have the knowledge of the Munster Academy. But what I would say is I have a knowledge of the senior players. And as I said, there's enough quality there to drag a performance or drag nerves out of performances of some of those younger guys if they have to be selected. Um, and I would back Munster to go and certainly get a performance. I don't. I think a win is still still a big, like away, away matches are pretty tricky. They are like in... in uh, in European competition, particularly the first out of the gate as well. They're, they are challenging enough. Um, what I might see maybe is more of a bonus point loss, I think, is probably where I see it, um, because they just don't have the full complement. But um, I could see a win. I could definitely see that. I could, You know what I can see? I can definitely see a big performance. I'll put it that way, and I think it'll be tight, because I do see them you know, back against the wall. No matter what team you are, I think you know they have enough personalities there to... Um, to at least perform well and do the jersey proud, and there's kind of been so much build up on it now. I think or around the match that I think, um, it's kind of set up nicely for them to have a big day out. So yeah, look, I think we'd wish them all the best. I mean, it's such an unfortunate circumstance and the shitty, or sorry, ter- excuse my language, terrible way to 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 start your competition off, particularly a team that we really thought I oh, like. I really think they're coming together very nicely. This monster outfit, um. You know, some bad luck around Snyman, but I think generally speaking, still a very, very strong team um, in, in terms of the competition. So uh, I hope they do go well. Um, and if you're asking me, honestly, I think they will. So um, looking forward to that one. And again, it's an opportunity for some of those young guys to put a hand up like they, with the with the changed format in the URC. You might even get a chance like this for a couple of years. Um, with no games during Six Nations and stuff, so this is a huge opportunity for some of these guys who are on the fringe, maybe, or who in the or who are in the academy. So, um, I'm expecting one or two of them to, to to put a hand up and surprise us. 
Yeah, and it's worth noting that even a losing bonus point in the grand scheme of things isn't the worst result, given that Wasps and Cass both have to come to Tolman Park. Two home victories with maybe another away win, potentially in Cass, would probably still be enough for Munster to get into the last 16 and potentially have a, a reasonable seeding as well. Keen, one story that did come out this week, you know, amid the quarantining and the Wasps build-up was, you know, Johan van Grand's future, you know, up in the air potentially. It was taught, I think, I can't remember, it was you or Rudd who was on a few weeks ago when we were chatting about the possibility of him getting an extension. Now it looks like that, that might not be on the cards anymore. There's a lot of uncertainty around the future with obviously Stephen Larkham already confirming that he'll be leaving. Um, you know, what's your kind of take on that at the moment? Yeah, I suppose, like, you know, Munster have been so used to coaching upheaval in the last, I mean, however many years. So, like, losing Stephen Larkham is, is a blow, even though... It's hard to if, if people are being truthful, it's hard to know how much of a blow it is because I don't really think we've seen his full his full impact um, at Munster. Now, again, I don't know. Is that down to him not being able to, you know, fully implement his game plan or is it, you know, from above being ruled? So it's hard to know. Yeah, like the, the talk has been that, you know, talks might have stalled a little bit. Um, it was Rudd, in fairness, who's been who's been covering this story. Um, the expectation was that Van Gran was going to sign a new deal. Like he'd been linked to Bath in the past. Um, so obviously there's some links there. And, you know, Bath are pretty dire at the moment, as we, well, I don't even know if you mentioned it. We were talking about they're Leinster. Nine, nine losses, um, they? Yeah. Yeah. So 32 they're, they're point pretty, underdogs against Leinster. Yeah. So look, I, I don't know. I've, I've been, I think I've been on the record here before uh, on the podcast. I haven't been entirely convinced by Van Gran, um, if I'm being totally honest, uh, since he's come in, since he's come into Munster. I understand the need for stability and that's kind of what Munster have been chasing, especially now with losing such a key figure in terms of Stephen Larkin. But I guess it all depends on do, if he was to leave, do they have a succession plan? Who who would be the one to come in? You know, you're you're, you're talking about another rebuild then again. So I think we'll wait and see. I, I you know I think he could easily sign a new deal. From from what I understand, he he genuinely does enjoy it in Limerick. He's he's got a young family. They're well settled. Um, maybe Munster want him to stay on. Potentially do for that stability. But um, yeah, I haven't been convinced in in general about the the reign overall. I have to say. Yeah, it'll be another one of those interesting subplots to follow. You know, looking at the other Irish provinces then, Luke, you know, Ulster away to Claremont this Saturday, and they also have Northampton as their kind of, that's their mini little, you know, kind of fixture list that they have. You know, obviously it's funny, Dan McFarlane made that big speech after they lost to Connacht saying, you know, oh, I'm sick of us, you know, when we're the favourites and we underperform. Well, I wonder what he was saying privately after the Ospreys game at the weekend, you know, beating Leinster in the RDS, they were giving a big celebrations, you know, for the first time in, you know, 10 or so years winning there. And then to go out and lose to the Ospreys, awful preparation for, for, for Claremont away at the weekend. You know, what's your, what, what was your, what's your take on them now? You know, obviously they got a lot of praise after the Leinster game, but you know, after that, that's a, that's a bad loss now. Not, to not back it up like that. Uh, it's, it's shocking. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed, but like they just can't seem to get their act together. And like, I, I don't know what it is. I thought that this, I watched, I got to watch the second, only, I'm sorry, apologies, I only got to watch the second half of the match. They were messy, just like silly stuff. And I kind of, like, even at the end, like, Doak with that cross wheel kick, like, just kind of, just mad stuff, you know? And I'm kind of thinking, like, it's kind of infuriating. I'd hate to support them. Like, you get a one big match, like, um, you know, and then they just can't seem to back it up. Um, 
so yeah, look, it's the same story, very inconsistent, you know, and I, and, I, and I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's a mental thing or whatever it is, but they can't seem to get over the hump of this. Now, the one thing I would say is they're still pretty formidable at home. They have a few guys coming back in. It was good to see Jack McGrath back on the pitch. I think he helps out, you know, and, and they look you know, pretty robust in the front row if he's back to anything like he was before his injury. Thought Marty Moore, although I think he was injured, was actually very good against Leinster. He was excellent that day. And they've got Vermeulen coming in with hopefully Henderson to come back in as well. So they actually look like they're coming back into, you know, like a, you know the, the pack is kind of shaping up quite nicely. Um, you know, I'm still unconvinced about a few things. I like the two guys at nine, but do not like uh, Burns at 10. I just don't think he's a big game player. I never have. Um, I'm, I'm unconvinced by him. And I'm not sure if he's the guy to take them to the next level. Um, but I still think they've got enough in terms of this competition. Um, you know, to, to, to get through. I think they're, you know, they, I could see them picking off Claremont, uh, you know, in, in Raven Hill. They're well capable of that. It'll be tight, but they can do that. Um, and I could see them being, you know, getting the better of Northampton. Like, they've got the quality there to do that. Um, I just, I think they just don't inspire a massive amount of confidence because of just, I just think they're loose, the penalties, just kind of silly mistakes. Um you know, almost kind of brain like even that match against Connacht, like some of the ball, like some of the tries that Connacht scored were just brain farts, you know, like just really poor stuff. So, uh, if they can get rid of a bit of that, tighten things up, uh, get a few guys back into the pack, I can see them qualifying well. I can, so I, I hope that's the case. Um, but so annoying and frustrating to watch them go up and down week to week. Yeah, it's funny, Keen, as you know, as bad as that defeat to the Ospreys was, like they, they are away to Claremont on Saturday. I actually give them a very good chance of going there and winning. I really don't rate this Claremont team. I don't think they're anywhere near the team they were, you know, five, six years ago. I think they're very vulnerable. I've seen them once or twice in, in the French League this year. Haven't been very impressed. They have some very big names in the back line. You know, Penno, Raka, guys like this who are good. But, you know, Lopez is leaving the club at the end of the year, as is Morgan Parra. There's a changing of the guard there. And, you know, Ulster are kind of a week-on, week-off kind of team. So I wouldn't be shocked if they went and they, and they actually got a good result this weekend. Yeah, it wouldn't be. I, I have to say, I probably wouldn't share either of your optimism um, around Ulster. I would have concerns about them, about them against Claremont and Northampton, I have to say. Uh, for all of Claremont's struggles, they are still pretty good at home, and that is a tough venue to go to. We, we spoke about Wasps there going to the Rico Arena. Uh, this is a different kettle of fish altogether. Um, it was interesting. I was chatting to JJ Hanrahan last week for a piece in the paper, and you know, just getting a bit of insight into how Claremont work. And yeah, there absolutely is a changing of the guard. But, you know, he was saying, you know, making the point that how, you know, people on the outside, you know, you think how important it is to win at home and people talk about how tough it is for teams to go away to France. And he's living that now. And he's, he was just making the point that when you're in the team, like you just do not lose at home. The pressure is enormous uh, from internally and and externally in terms of the supporters. So uh, I think for all Claremont's patchy form, I think Ulster will be doing very well to go there this weekend and win. And, you know, the way the format is set up this year, it, that puts them on the back foot straight away. And, and I actually think Northampton lads are pretty good. Like I've seen a couple of their games this season. Um, it remains to be seen in terms of the, the step up to Europe, how good they will be. But I think they're going to be very tough opposition as well, both to Franklin's Gardens and next week at Ravenhill. So I think Ulster... Are up against it. I'm unconvinced about them still in the in the tight five. I think Luke is right. It's great to see Jack McGrath back, but 
God, their scrum really struggled, didn't it? I know they had a bit of a couple of issues there at Hooker, but I mean that Claremont pack is still pretty meaty. Um, so I I think the age old problem of Ulster um still exists. To be honest, I think for Mullen coming in is a huge bonus. We don't know yet if he'll be involved because he had COVID last week when he was with the Barbarians and Dan McFarlane in his press conference yesterday was being very coy and whether he'd be involved or not. So he can't come back come in soon enough. But I still think they're short and I think they'll struggle actually. Yeah, well, one of us is going to be right and one of the most will probably look a little bit <coughs> foolish next week. But yeah, as you say, a very, very difficult start for them away to Claremont and then home to a, a reasonably informed Northampton. What about Connacht then, Luke? They have Stade Francais in the sports grounds on Sunday. Obviously, disappointing finish to the Leinster game, but at times they look very good and they've had, you know, you know some very big results this year already. You know, they have a tough start with they have Leicester then away second weekend. So they really do need to win their opening game against Stade. Would you give them a good chance of getting off their winning start? Yeah, I do, actually. I think I could see them winning. I think they'll be hurting from last week. I mean, they nearly conceded 50 points, like pretty embarrassing, um, particularly when they got off to such a good start in the game. And, and, and had like I, I will say, I thought there was some very unfortunate parts of the game for them. I mean, that kick from Jack Carty on, was it 32, 33 minutes? I think it might have been something like that. It was an unbelievable kick. He got really, really unlucky with the pounce of the rugby ball. Um, that could have been a five-meter line out to them, and it ended up being a Leinster score at the other end of the park. Um, you know, a couple of minutes later, and then obviously that there was some uh, not not so sure about the refereeing decisions or one or two of them anyway. Um, so they can feel a little bit aggrieved of that, but generally speaking, like they still conceded forty seven points, and for all of their attacking prowess at times, and they were exciting to watch. Um, they just let you down at, at at key moments. Like you can't like not lay a glove on a hooker and let him run in from forty meters. Like you just can't do that. Uh, even the try that I mentioned earlier on that Larmer got, um, like Hugo Keenan actually gave him a back shoulder pass and held him up. It was actually, it should have been any good winger, you know, should, what I would think a good winger had the angle and should have stopped there. And, and as even Peter Robin, the inside should have got, should have got the tackle as well. He ducked under that tackle close to the line. I thought they could have at least, you know, got a couple more phases out of that and, and per, you know, perhaps prevented a Leinster score. So there was some stuff I thought that was disappointing with them. Um, you know, and, and they made they made Leinster look very good at times. I thought uh, they lost heart very easily. So look, just as that was probably maybe a little bit of a look back, and maybe going into this week, I think it might rouse them a little bit. And they, you know, they think they'll get a bit of a kick in the hole from Andy Friend and his coaching staff to say, lads, like you can't do, you can't just lose heart that quickly. And um, you were so in that game, um, you know. And I think they'll they'll put out a big performance in. Uh, the sports ground, like I just can't see Saffron say enjoying that trip. I just can't. I just don't think they will enjoy going out there, particularly if the weather's bad. And Connacht have been really, really strong there. I mean, that performance against the Ospreys a couple of weeks back, they were brilliant. Like the quality of rugby that they played, and at times they played some of that against Leinster too. And Leinster rode their luck at times, I thought actually, um, but hung on in there well. Um, but if they play anywhere like that in the sports ground, I think they'll beat Saffron say. Leicester looks like a big ask at the moment. They're playing well. Um, they're always difficult to beat in Welford. Um, but that's not that's not impossible, you know. I think the Premiership sometimes gets blown up because the TV coverage is great. Um, and I'm not so sure that it is as good as it was. And particularly, I mean, look, you saw what Leinster did to Exeter last year, who were you know very very strong in that competition. Um, and Harlequins, I just don't know what to, I don't know what to think of them. Uh, to be honest with you, but Leicester looked very good so far this year. But I'm just not convinced. And you could easily, you know, nick a bonus point away from the away uh, from home and beat them in the sports ground. So I think that's all to play for in that group. And I'd like to see Connacht get a win and show 
what they're made of against Stafford, say who I don't think will want to travel there. Yeah, Stad are struggling, even though they did beat La Rochelle actually last weekend, having been 14 points down at one stage. It's funny, Keane, like Connacht are actually decent favourites in the bookies going into this game. Like, you're six point favourites. You wouldn't often see them six point favourites in the top 14 side in the Champions Cup. Uh, but I suppose it speaks to the fact that they are capable of these one off performances. And basically, if they lose to Stad, they're out more or less, like, you know, calling a spade a spade. Like, they're unlikely to probably go and win two away games. So, this is kind of a knockout game for them in many ways. Yeah, and I, I think playing them at home first, I mean, we, we just spoke about Ulster going to Claremont. I think if Ulster had Claremont at home, you know, you, you might be feeling a little bit more optimistic. But I think Connacht will be definitely happy to have Stad at home first. Uh, you're right, they got a really good comeback win against Ron O'Gara's La Rochelle at the weekend, which gave them confidence. But like, I don't know, you look outside, lads, at the weather at the moment and Storm Barra is ripping through. There could be there could be leftovers of that come Sunday afternoon in Galway and Galway. This like, is a regular no day for the sports ground. Like every day in sports ground is Storm Barra. There'd be a few lads availing of that tight rule or the new tight rule, I'd say, from Stade Francais. I can easily see that happen if it's a wet and windy one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But like, you know what? Like all jokes aside, like the, the weather was so bad um, in the sports ground for that Ospreys game and just the manner in which Connacht still stuck to how they were playing. So I think the key for them is to, to find out ways when they're not going to be able to do that, I think, against every team, as we saw against Leinster last week. So they need to find different ways to win games. And that is going to be one of the biggest challenges, I think, for them going into Europe. But look, I think they've got players bang of form. I think, um, you know, apart from Mac Hansen's errors, I, defensive errors, like he's just been so exciting to watch going forward. I think Bundiaki is a massive loss for them. Uh, like as he was last week, he's not going to be involved again this week. And even Paul Boyle, I see, is out injured too. So they're down a couple of, of key bodies. But if they were to get a win this weekend, which, you know, a packed out sports ground, you'd hope they do. I think that would set them up really well going to, to Welford Road next week. No, definitely massive game for them on Sunday. And just to kind of wrap up our chat, Luke, you know, any other team outside the Irish province that you're interested to see? I know you mentioned Harlequins there. They're a team I'm really interested to see whether they translate their really attacking brand of rugby, which has been very exciting to watch in the Premiership into Europe. Like just looking at their fixtures, you know, since they won the league, they have Cardiff and Cast which, you you know, to be fair, isn't the most difficult uh, pool stage games. But, you know, potentially them later on in the tournament could be very exciting. You know, even, as you said earlier, Leicester, how they translate their kind of little resurgence into Europe. Even La Rochelle, who've, who've really struggled at times this year. You know, it's Ron O'Gara's first year as the overall boss. I've watched him a couple of times. Haven't really, hit, as you mentioned, Luke, Look like they really maxed out that day against Leinster and, and have maybe struggled to hit those heights since. Like, so of you know, those teams or anyone else, who's kind of catching your eye outside the Irish? Well, the obvious one's obviously Toulouse. Um, but leaving them aside, because I think we all know what they're they're a bit of a known quantity. I think uh, you make a good point about Harlequins. I think if they can get through the trickier months with the weather, um, they might be a real force to be reckoned with in you know, better conditions, harder tracks. Um you know, they seem to, as you said, they play a great brand of rugby. Obviously, Marcus Smith running the show there is fairly loose, um, but very, very exciting at the same time. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, you're not, um, you don't win the premiership. Like, you know, I, like it is still a difficult competition to win. And, you, you know, you've got to play pretty good rugby for, 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 you know, a long portion of the season. But they really came alive in the last part on the hard tracks. Um, hence my opinion around, you know, they could be a force we reckon it if they get to the later stages. But I think they might struggle to get there, to be honest. Um, against a few meaty packs, I think that it'll be too much for them. If if you, if you ask my honest opinion, um, Leicester are the one I'm I'm excited to watch 
personally because of the start they have in the Premiership. I think it's a bit overrated, the Premiership, but I just love Leicester. I just always think it's such a great club. It's one of the real traditional strongholds of rugby. And if you've ever played rugby in Welford or you've ever gone, I'm not sure you guys, because look, Leicester have been poor for quite a long period of time. I don't know if you've ever been to watch a match in, in Welford. It's a great old stadium. I'm, I'm actually going for the first time next oh, week. It's a brilliant stadium. Yeah, honestly, you'll absolutely love it. And it's a tough place to go and travel because the, the, the sheds are crap, like very similar to the wreck for, for Bath, like really poor for the away change room. And I, I, I don't know what they do, whether they hose it down with a fire hose or whatever, but it's just miserable in there. Like it's no toilet roll job. Like it's one of those ones, they make it as uncomfortable as possible. The Champions Cup's a better place for Leicester, just like Toulouse in a different kind of way. I think like the Champions Cup is all the better for having oh, a yeah. strong like, Leicester. See the support Leicester. they've had, Keen. Like they have a really they're one of the, the rugby clubs that has just had a, even though they haven't had a great couple of years, they just have a great following all the time. They're one of the clubs that kind of hold their own financially. Not maybe a few challenges of late, but they generally hold their own financially with the 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 bums on seats that they get all the time very similar to like an Exeter, you know, they're, they're a really strong club. So it's good to see them back at the top table. And um, I, I am hoping that they're a team that kind of can produce, you know, what they are producing in the premiership in the, the Heineken cup, because I think the competition has missed them. You know, you think of some of the great Leicester teams, they're involved in some of the great fixtures, the hand, the back, you know, all this, they're, they're part of the competition, you know, so. And it's, um, Andre Pollard as well today. So they saw that it's a great bit of business. Yeah. Like Andre Pollard, serious yeah. player. I saw that myself. Yeah. So they are making some moves, and I think they hadn't tradi- they traditionally had a name for not paying people well for a long period of time. Plus, do we we get to see a bit of Nadolo, which is always nice. He's 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 always uh, entertaining. So yeah, look, it's yeah, and fair play. Nadolo does seem to have kind of got a bit fitter from when I, I was at the cha- I was the challenge. Well, I was at the Challenge Cup final in May, and geez, he barely moved about two or three inches the whole game. He was just very, very stationary, but he's been very, very good in the games I've seen them play. And to be fair, they've kind of quietly gone and recruited quite well. Like they brought in Jasper Visa at number eight. He's been he was a Springbok in, in the summer with the Lions. Marco van Strad and another Springbok is in the back row with them. You know, Gange is in the front row. George Martin, a young second row, has been in with England. It looks like a very promising prospect. Even Dan Kelly, a centre who played Ireland under twenties, has been a mainstay in there. He's very good. He swapped back to England. Uh, the trader. No, I'm joking. Uh, and he's been he, <laughs> he's been really good for them as well, you know. And then you know, in the back line, you know, uh, f- you know, f- uh, Freddie Stewart as well got got in with England in November. Like they have a lot of young talent, some overseas, sprinkling overseas guys. George Ford pulling the strings at ten. So yeah, I actually think they could be one of the teams, Keen. Uh, you know, who could be good this year. Anyone else jumping out for you? And I suppose it's worth mentioning Steve Borthwick is the one knitting all that together. So they kind of have the edge, the edge kind of back to them. Um. I suppose like I, I'm always watching out for the Irish guys. So like I'm I'm very curious to see how Lara Shell are going to build on last season. You're right, Will. They haven't been great. They've been up and down in the top 14 this season, but they were so good in the top four, in the Champions Cup last season. So I'm curious to see how they go. Um Brassing as well have been a bit kind of hit and miss this season. Um and you know, like there's talk about Mike Prendergast potentially coming back to Munster, who are now looking obviously for the attack coach and his reputation is is unbelievable in France with all the work he's done with Bernard Jackman at Grenoble. Then he went to Oyanax and now he's with when he went to Stad then and now he's with Racing. So I think they're under a bit of pressure as well. So probably similar enough pressure to what we mentioned that Leinster were under. They'll they'll feel like internally there's a lot of pressure too. And I suppose just one wild card team. I think Bordeaux have been going really well in the in the top fourteen and like I'm a big fan of Jalibert. Um so 
really I'd, I'd be interested i mean they kind of are one of those french teams who always flatter to deceive in in europe now i know they did well in the challenge cup but it'll be interesting to see how, how they handle this setup too yeah one thing for them jalabert is actually injured for the leicester game this weekend so that's a re- it's a really good opportunity for leicester to go as you say i think bordeaux are, are, are either first or second in the top 14 leicester top of the charts in england it's a good opening fixture but with no jalabert it could be an opportunity for leicester just to finish off then i go to you keen first you know who is your champions cup winner in 2022 uh i am going to go for Toulouse to defend their title. Boring, I know. Interesting. I'm going with Leinster, Luke. Yeah, Leinster too. Um, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier on, I think they're in the perfect spot, provided they can keep, you know, probably they don't, there's not some kind of injury crisis. I still think they got the best squad. Well, it's set up to be an absolutely cracking competition. Hopefully we get off to a good start this weekend. But for the moment, Keen, Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks. Cheers, Will. Cheers, lads. That's all we have time for this week on The Left Wing. We'll be back next week with another show. In the meantime, you could subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>